Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I want to thank you once again for joining us on this uh, sixth segment that we are teaching on the book of Revel on the book uh, of the church at LODC, I'm sorry. It is a continuing of uh, what we've been sharing uh, from the book of Revelation. I think we've shared something like, I don't know, somewhere around uh, 30 or more programs uh, introducing and dealing with uh, verse-by-verse study uh, in the book of Revelation. And our primary thought has been, especially dealing with these seven churches, is that uh, it is a church that the Lord would send this message to. He would say to them, repent. The word repent, in my uh, understanding, is not a bad word. It is a word that simply means to change the way you think. It is a paradigm shift, and uh, uh, it is literally to change one's bent or uh, to have a, have a paradigm shift. The main thought that we've shared almost, we've dealt with every one of these churches. This church at Laodicea is the seventh one. And they were really seven churches that were really in Asia and they were uh, really making a paradigm shift. They were the first century church because John was writing to seven churches. When we read this, we, we, we get all kinds of stuff we add to it. But if I wrote a letter to a church at Laodicea, or, or uh, let's say, uh, and something you'll understand, if I wrote a letter to the church at Atlanta, one to the church at Philadelphia, one to the church at Washington, D.C., then my letter is going to have some relevance to that church that's in Washington, Atlanta, or Philadelphia. In other words, uh, if I wrote a church to a letter to the church in Atlanta and uh, it's not relevant for another 2,000 years, then uh, why not let somebody else write the letter to them? The reason it's so emphatically important is because John tells them in Revelation 1, these things are about to shortly come to pass. And I believe the greatest need in the church today is a need of a revelation of Jesus. Because a revelation of Jesus to you will produce a revelation of Jesus through you. Uh, the book of, I believe it is Habakkuk talks about it, it says, Though the vision tarry, wait for it, for it is for the appointed time, and in the end it will speak and will not tarry. Uh, but he says it was for the appointed time. Uh, in the book of Hebrews, it says, "For though the though he tarry, uh, wait for him." And uh, so in Hebrews, the it became a he, and the vision or the revelation was the revelation of Jesus Christ, and uh, uh, though he tarry, wait for him, for he will come and will speak. So it was for the appointed time of the end, and all of a sudden the appointed time of the end had come in Hebrews, because they are making a shift from an old covenant paradigm to a new covenant paradigm. That's what repentance is about, is they were repenting from an old covenant to a new covenant, changing the way they think. Uh, let me just say again, uh, you can go back and watch the stuff we've archived. It's on our YouTube page. There's a link from our website that you can go and you can watch them on demand. Like I said, there are 30-some shows leading up to this that have built to show you uh, why we're talking about these things the way we are. We cannot do uh, all of it in a 30-minute segment to kind of uh, bring it all together, but you have to go back and watch them. And I trust that you've been watching. We thank the Lord for a continued audience that's continuing to watch us, we appreciate that deeply. But I believe that what's happening is that not only was this written to the early church, but it, it is almost to me tragic 
that here we are 2,000 years into a new covenant, and we've got to come back and teach the church now to make this same paradigm shift, because we're still in a mentality that will not let us fully move from an old covenant to a new covenant. I believe that's what lukewarm was about, is you've got mixture in it. You've got mixture of hot, and you've got mixture of cold. You've got mixture of law, you've got mixture of grace. And I believe that when he says to them, as we've shared already, let me just read the text again to you so we can go on from here. Verse 14 says, Under the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then, I'm sorry, I lost my place here. So then, uh, he, says, that thou, he said, Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold, tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, in white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and the shame of thy nakedness does not appear, and to anoint thine eyes with thy sight, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. See, the key emphasis to me is not him spewing you out of his mouth. The real emphasis I hear is his heart. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. In other words, I love you too much to leave you standing outside of the covenants of promise. I love you too much to let you have a paradigm that keeps on robbing you and letting you continue to be naked and miserable and poor and blind, especially when I came to give you the abundant life on every level. That's what I came for. So I want you to anoint your eyes with ISAB that you can see. You know, when I think about this, I can't help but think about the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts who was a legalist. Paul was, uh, he was Saul of Tarsus at that time. But he was getting letters to persecute folks who were making the transition out of this old covenant. He thought he was doing God a service, much like many of our critics think today when they attack us, as they think, well, these guys that are preaching grace and finished work are so deceived that they attack us uh, like they're doing God a service. I trust God is able to open their eyes just like He did ours, just like He did Saul of Tarshish. But Paul, on the road to Damascus that day, while he was getting letters to persecute people, the Bible said he was knocked to the ground and saw a great light. And when he did, he was blinded. And the Bible said he was blind for three days and three nights. To me, that powerfully, prophetically speaks of the fact that he was blind to the three days and three nights of the person and work of Jesus Christ because in his death, his burial, and his resurrection, that's what Paul didn't have a revelation of. Concerning the law, he excelled in the Jews' religion above many that were his equal. But he said in Philippians 3, I had to count that all but dung that I might win Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is a product of the law, but a righteousness which is through the faith of Jesus Christ. Paul said, I need this white raiment that he's promised in the church at Laodicea. I believe Paul was one of those guys who said, I'm wretched, I'm miserable, I'm poor, and I'm blind. And he began to say, you know, uh, anoint his eyes with eye salve. And so when the apostle Paul was knocked to the ground and he was blind for three days and three nights, and once again that powerfully, prophetically speaks to me of the three days and three nights of the person and work of Jesus Christ. But I love this. A man by the name of Ananias came. And it is not an accident that Ananias' name means grace. Here comes a man by the name of grace who touches the eyes uh, 
of this Saul of Tarsus who is a religious legalist. Can I say it like this? Grace was the salve that was put in his eyes. And when Paul's eyes were opened and he could begin to see and Jesus began to speak to him, he said, uh, he said uh, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul said, uh, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom thou persecute. He got a revelation of Jesus. And when he got a revelation of Jesus, there was an eye salve of grace that was placed in his eyes. And he became the greatest apostle of grace to the Gentiles and wrote most of the New Testament. Now that's a powerful testimony of anointing your eyes with eye salve. I believe there are many out there today that are watching me and all you really need is an anointing of eye salve of grace. You need an Ananias in your life that can speak a word of grace that's going to help you uh, be able to make the transition and repent and move. There's a door open. He's standing at the door knocking and he's saying, if you'll open the door, uh, I'll come in and sup with you and you with me. But he said, because you say I'm rich and increased in goods and don't need anything and don't even know you're wretched, miserable, poor, and blind. I shared last week about how there was a certain man that made a great supper and he bade many and uh, some of them began to make excuses and they wouldn't come. And he said, well, you know what? Uh, we're just going to, we're just going to, uh, we're going to open to the streets, the highways and the byways. We're going to compel them to come in and those that were invited to the supper are not going to come to the supper. I want to talk today a little bit more about another rich man. This man is in Luke 16 because the, the thing that he's dealing with here in um, at this church again is you say you're rich and increased in goods and don't need anything and don't know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I want to go here to this parable. Now Jesus is, is doing several parables in a row. But verse 19 starts out by saying this in Luke 16. There was a certain rich man. Now see, once again, we're dealing with the concept, you say you're rich and increased in goods. Now if you remember uh, last week, I dealt with Matthew 5, where he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, if you don't realize, see, that was, he was speaking to a Jewish audience who thought they had it all. They thought they were rich and increased in goods. They thought they had a righteousness because of their performance, their long prayers for pretense, their broad phylacteries. And Jesus says to them, uh, you're blessed if you get poor in spirit. In other words, if you can recognize the spiritual deficit you are in, then you're about to receive the kingdom of heaven. If you can realize and get hungry for thirsty for righteousness, you're going to be filled with a righteousness that's different than your performance-based righteousness. You're going to receive a white robe, all right, but this one is the righteousness of the saints, which given as a gift of God, a literal robe of righteousness that we put on and that we wear because of what He did. I think that's powerful. But He's talking to them again when Matthew 5, he was dealing with the Jewish audience who were up under the law, who thought they were rich in Christian goods, and they were really the blind leading the blind. He said, you don't even know you're wretched. You don't realize how miserable, you don't realize how poor and how blind you are. So when he starts out here in Luke 16, the context, he's really dealing again with scribes and Pharisees and all these religious dudes. And he's given several parables that have dealt with this. But he gets to this that a certain rich man was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores, and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that when the beggar died, he was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. 
And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. And Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Now there is some powerful stuff here, uh, I believe, that is being mentioned here concerning this. Now let me submit to you. You can do, uh, you know, whatever you want with this, but I believe one of the, one of the things, again, I believe this is a parable. And I believe the rich man in this particular segment is the Jewish nation. I believe that because of several things. Number one, he calls him Father Abraham. And Abraham acknowledges him as a son. The Greek word, I believe, is technon, a born one. So he is the natural seed of Abraham. And so he is the rich man. He's the one that had the covenants of promise. He's the one that had all of God's favor and God's temple and God's blessing and God's favor and access to God's kingdom. The, 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 uh, the rich man, so to me, uh, that fared sumptuously every day, speaks of this Jewish audience uh, whom he's trying to get to make the paradigm once again into this new covenant. Now there's a beggar named Lazarus which was laid at the gate full of sores and the dogs would have licked uh, his sores. To me, Lazarus speaks of the Gentiles for several reasons. Number one, when Jesus is talking to a Samaritan woman, I believe it is, or a, a Gentile woman, he said, it is not lawful to give what's holy to dogs. And so we've got Lazarus, a picture of the Gentiles. And last but not least, Lazarus, the name Lazarus, watch this, this is so powerful to me, is the Hebrew word Eliezer. And Eliezer, the derivative of the word Lazarus, is the, is the Hebrew name Eliezer. And Eliezer was the Gentile servant of Abraham, who was going to be heir of Abraham's uh, wealth until God gave him an Isaac. So what he's simply doing is giving a picture here of the fact that Abraham's inheritance is about to be given to a Gentile heir, Eliezer, or Lazarus. And so he's saying to him, look, you've been a rich man. See, the whole deal he's dealing with here in the church of Laodicea is because you say you're rich, you're not able to make this transition out of an old covenant into the new covenant. Well, you know the story here of the rich man and Lazarus, how the rich man ends up in hell, Gehenna, or the valley of Hinnom, uh, where the trash heap was. And Lazarus is about to end up in the bosom of Abraham. And to me, this is such a powerful story. Because here's Lazarus in the bosom of Abraham, who is enjoying the covenants of promise. He is enjoying the covenants of the blessing of Abraham and Abraham's bosom. And this rich man is in hell and he lifts up his eyes being in torments and he sees Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Uh, and, and he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus that he, now look, he says, send Lazarus. 
so he could dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received the good things, and likewise Lazarus received evil things, but now he's comforted, and you're tormented. And then he said, I pray thee, therefore, Father, that thou wouldst send him to my father's house for high five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also uh, come into this place of torment. Abraham said unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one went from the dead, listen to this, if one rose from the dead, surely they will repent. He said, If they won't hear Moses and the prophets, then they're surely not going to hear that rose from the dead. Now, what really caught my attention is, they ask Jesus, send Lazarus from the dead as a warning to these people so that they won't come here. I don't know if it ever dawns on us or not, but the guy that Jesus raised from the dead, his name was Lazarus. And from the time he raised Lazarus from the dead, they sought to kill him again. So Jesus' words were exactly right. Even if I send Lazarus, they won't believe. And it never dawns on us that Jesus literally raised a man by the name of Lazarus from the dead. That's not an accident, ladies and gentlemen. I promise you that when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, they were already seeking to uh, destroy Jesus already in that city, and that's the reason he tarried for four days. He'd left there because they were trying to kill him. And finally, uh, you know, uh, somebody said, well, you know, Jesus says to him, well, uh, Lazarus is asleep. And they said, well, that's good, then he's resting. And Jesus said, no, 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 you're not understanding me. He's, not, he's dead. And, and I believe it was Thomas, or one of the twelve, said to him, well, let's go die with him. And I used to think well, that meant, well, let's just all go and just, you know, go die with him. But what, he was, what, what Thomas was saying is he really had some guts. He was saying, let's go back and face this angry mob of people who are trying to kill us before. And if we have to, we'll just die with him, uh, you know, when we go back and, and, and where Lazarus said, we'll, we'll literally have to face physical death. But when Jesus went back, I love this, when Jesus went back to the tomb of Lazarus, the Bible said that they were weeping and many were standing by, and Jesus, the Bible said, wept. Not because, and they said, oh, how he must have loved him. But really, uh, he wasn't weeping because he loved him. He was weeping because of their unbelief, because Jesus says to them, the hour is coming and now is, when they that are in the tomb are going to hear the voice of the Son of Man, and he that live, uh, he that heareth the voice of the Son of Man shall live. And Mary said, Lord, I know my brother going to raise in the last days. And Jesus said, I want to tell you something, Mary. The hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of Man. What he was saying is the resurrection is not just an event. It is a person. And he said, take me to the tomb of Lazarus. And he went down to the tomb of Lazarus and he says these powerful words. Roll the stone away. When I think about that powerful picture, when I think about roll the stone away, I hear the Lord speaking to ministry in this hour and say, roll the stone of the law out of the picture. Not so dead, stinking flesh can get out, but so the power of resurrection can raise some people from the dead. I challenge you, pastors and preachers that are watching me today, to begin to roll the stone away, not, not to turn dead, stinking flesh loose, but to release the power of resurrection. And Jesus rears back, and He says, Lazarus, come forth. And the Bible said, Lazarus came forth and he was bound from head to foot. Can I tell you that I believe we've been living in a season of a paradigm shift when Lazarus is coming forth and people are coming forth. And then I hear the Lord saying to those who stand by and again to ministry, loose them and let them go. You've got to piece by piece begin to pull the bandages 
of bondage of law and legalism off of people who've got resurrection life in them because they begin to loose them and let them go and free them into a lifestyle of the power of resurrection. I promise you after Lazarus had been dead for four days, by now everybody said he stinketh, but Jesus calls him forth into the power of resurrection because what Lazarus is about is a picture of moving out of this stone-laden death situation of an old covenant into the power of resurrection. And when Jesus rolls the stone, or when they roll the stone away, Lazarus is called forth, the power of resurrection is released, and Lazarus is raised from the dead. I promise you that these disciples of these scribes and Pharisees ran and told the scribes and Pharisees, you're not going to believe it, but this dude just raised somebody from the dead. And I promise you that these scribes, Pharisees, and religious dudes said, please tell us his name is not Lazarus, because they would probably have remembered this story of the rich man and Lazarus. Because what was happening was Lazarus was about to be ushered into the presence of God. What was about to happen was God was about to spew out of his mouth this rich man, and he was about to include some Gentiles. He was about to make a whole new race of people, a whole new creation made up of both Jew and Gentile believer. He was about to remove the middle wall of partition and invite them to a supper where it's not just about crumbs. It's about eating the supper of the great God and eating and filling it up, you know, as the power of God was about to, to flood their lives in a tremendous, tremendous Way. Hallelujah. And you know, I, I think about even, uh, he, he was saying to them, you, you know, uh, there's a great gulf fixed. And really, if you look this word great gulf up, and uh, I believe it is in the Companion Bible in E.W. Bullinger's notes, the word for uh, great gulf there is a, is a medical term that means a gaping wound. In other words, there's only one way to bridge the gap from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant, and that is through the gaping wound of Calvary's tree. It is the blood of Jesus that delivers us, redeems us, sets us free, and carries us over into uh, the presence of God and, and carries us into this New Covenant paradigm. And, uh, you know, I would submit to you also that even this word hell here is not dealing with, I don't believe a necessarily a, a futuristic uh, place of burning, but it was the trash heap of Gehenna, the Valley of Hinnom. And if you go back into the book of Isaiah, uh, when he uses that Valley of Hinnom, he says from that now on there was a great slaughter. He called it the Valley of Slaughter in the book of Isaiah. And I believe he is alluding to, uh, there may be more to this, I'm not saying I got all there is on this, but I believe he was alluding to what would occur in 70 AD when there would literally come a fire and this trash heap would be burnt and literally Jerusalem would be burnt to the ground and fire would be poured upon them in fulfillment of the prophecy that John the Baptist gave in Matthew chapter 3. He said, uh, there is one coming after me. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost. He's got a winnowing fork in his hand. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. I believe the winnowing fork, he winnowed out the good wheat and separated the chaff, and the good wheat got the Holy Ghost, and the winnowing fork brought the chaff, and the chaff would be burnt in the threshing floor, just like Matthew 13 says the harvest would be the end of the age. And it was not the end of this age, it was the end of the age of the law, when he would gather out the tares, bind them in bundles, and burn them with an unquenchable fire. I submit to you that's something he did in 70 AD, when he separated the wheat from the chaff, took out 
uh, the, he, he gathered the wheat into the garner, but he took out the chaff and burned it with an unquenchable fire. I'm not saying that there's not more to it than that. I'm just simply saying I believe that in the understanding of the Jewish mindset, they knew that the Valley of Hinnom was a prophetic symbol of the Valley of Slaughter, where they had been slaughtered before and uh, uh, brought into that Valley of Hinnom where there was literally a trash heap. He said, I'm about to spit you out into the trash heap, but I'm about to gather them into the covenants of promise. I don't know about you, but I'd rather come to the supper and enjoy the presence and the goodness of this God who embraces not just Abraham, but Eliezer as an heir even to the things of God. So I believe we're standing in a day when the Lord is simply saying, it's time to make the shift. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if you'll open the door, I'll come in. That door is the same door that's there in chapter 4. And after this, I looked and a door was opened. Same door he was knocking on is the same door that was open. And to him that overcomes, I'll grant him to sit with me in my throne. Same throne that's in chapter 4. It is the one that you get to sit with him and rule and reign as an heir in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is a present reality. It is something you have access to right now by simply making a paradigm shift from an old covenant mindset into a new covenant mindset. I say to you, and I challenge you, roll the stone away. Don't sit in the dimension where you're, uh, you've got excuses why you won't come to the supper. Don't sit in a dimension where you, you, you're stuck in a dimension that's neither hot nor cold. Uh, it, 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 because you simply say, I'm rich. I've already got it all. I, I believe God's challenging us. I don't know where you feel today, but I feel like, Lord, I'm desperate in the sense of I'm hungry for you. I recognized my need of God a long time ago and realized without Him, I am nothing. I recognized my spiritual deficit, and in that place, I was able to receive then from His Spirit. I was able to realize how wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked I was, and to anoint my eyes with the eye salve of grace to come into this uh, into this throne room of God where uh, I could be clothed with a garment where my shame and my nakedness does not appear, but my righteousness appears because of what He did. We're out of time. I trust that this segment from Laodicea has blessed you. Tune in again next week and uh, take a moment to call the number on the screen. Uh, sow a seed into the ministry. It is what helps us take the gospel of grace and the gospel of the kingdom around the world. Uh, we appreciate we will not try to just get your information to solicit all kinds of things to you, but we do need your help to take the gospel. If you're appreciating what we're saying, get behind us and help us become a partner today with Lynn House Ministries, and we will thank you for that. God bless you. Tune in again next week at the same time. For anyone struggling to understand John's writings in Revelation, this book provides true, biblically-based answers. Through detailed insights into the letters John wrote to the seven churches of his day, you will learn how to avoid the mistakes of the early church to overcome today's trials and tribulations. This book will provoke you to thought and dialogue, bringing greater clarity and revelation of Jesus Christ.